Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. The fate of cash bail is now in the hands of the Illinois Supreme Court. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. This morning, Illinois' highest court heard oral arguments about a part of the Safety Act that would eliminate the use of cash bail in the state. That law prevented judges from requiring defendants to pay money to leave jail while they wait for their trial date. Judges could only keep people behind bars if they are determined to pose a flight or safety risk. Prosecutors against the law claim it violates the state constitution, and it was put on hold one week into the new year. For more on this, we turn to WBEZ State House reporter Mawa Iqbal and WBEZ criminal justice reporter Shannon Heffernan. Shannon, can you remind us, the law that would end cash bail was supposed to go into effect on January 1st of this year. What happened? Why was it put on hold? Okay, so state's attorneys across Illinois sued, basically saying this law was unconstitutional. And a Kinky judge agreed with him. But Illinois officials still defended the law. They took it to the Supreme Court, where it was placed on hold while the Supreme Court could consider this legal argument and make a decision. Mawa, you listened to the hearings this morning. Their arguments seemed to hinge on their interpretations of what actually constitutes bail. So how are their interpretations different? Yeah, so um, the defendants, I I think the um, key phrase here is bailable by sufficient sureties, which is listed out in the Illinois state constitution. And defendants are arguing that, you know, this doesn't necessarily apply to monetary bail. This can mean basically any sort of pretrial condition that will ensure that a person is released, but that they come back to trial. So an example of this would be electronic monitoring. Um, But, you know, plaintiffs are arguing that this is definitely monetary bail. And because this is a surety, that we can hold someone on, which is a cash amount. Mm -hmm. Shannon, representation on both sides of the issue, they argue that siding with the other is going to lead to a more unsafe community. So is there evidence that supports one side over the other? Walk us through that. Yeah, I think this is really important to talk about. So while in front of the Supreme Court, you're going to see a lot of these really technical arguments, I think what the general population cares about is like, is this going to make me safer or is this going to put me more at danger? 426 organizations and individuals filed this uh, document with the court that basically said, you know, this new law that eliminates cash bail is actually going to make communities safer. And there's a few ways that they argue that. First of all, they say, look, under the new law, people can still be held in jail while they're awaiting trial. The difference is that the judge has to say that they're a danger to the community or they may flee. It's not that they just pay money to leave. And making the standard about safety will make the community safer. They also say when people are held on bail, it destabilizes communities because people lose jobs or have trouble taking care of family members. On the other side, you have people arguing, um, like the FOP who filed documents with the court, that's mm-hmm. the uh, police union here in Chicago, are one of the largest police unions here in Chicago. They said, like, you can't release somebody 
who has previous convictions and expect there not to be a problem. They basically argue more detention means more safety. You asked if there was evidence. This is actually kind of a hard question, I think, for either side to use statistics on. When we're talking about safety, I think most people think big safety concerns like gun killings. Um, And that data is hard because most people who are murdered in Chicago, the person who murdered them is never caught. So it's not like there's data saying, what's the history of those folks who committed that murder? Mm. Interesting. And Mawa, one argument in court this morning was was how the Safety Act blurs the lines between the different branches of government. What do they mean by that? So they're talking about, you know, the, the branches of the legislative branch and the judicial branch. And so critics of the act say that, um, you know, this is basically the Safety Act is basically telling judges what to do. So the phrase they used a lot was infringing on judicial authority. And they talked about how, you know, if this is, you know, going to be a thing where we change the state constitution, then it should be done through a referendum or, or like a ballot measure that um, voters can vote on during elections. And the um, attorney on the appellant side, so the plaintiff side, um, brought up how in New Jersey and in New Mexico, um, this was something that was accomplished. You know, they, they made bail reforms through a ballot measure. And, and same with Illinois in the 80s, uh, they were able to add offenses, more offenses to a list of non-bailable offenses through a voting referendum. Um, mm. But then the, the defendant side, they argue that, you know, this is something like this is just what the legislature does, right? Like that this isn't violating the state constitution, first of all. So it doesn't have to be voted on through a referendum. And second of all, you know, they have a, quote, concurrent constitutional authority to regulate pretrial procedure in Illinois, as it has done for the past six decades. So their argument was that, you know, when it comes to public policy, when it comes to passing public policy on public safety, this is something that the legislature just does. And, and in a sort of a roundabout way, too, like voters do have a hand in it because they elect these members to serve in the General Assembly to pass these laws. Yeah. So. Well, Shannon, to that end, Chicago, as we know, is in the middle of its mayoral runoff election where that's public, right. public safety, that's been a major talking point for the candidates all through. So do you think that, you know, that may be influencing how Illinois justices swing in this case? So Illinois justices aren't really supposed to be considering something like a political race. Uh, and that said, you know, that kind of stuff does happen. My gut tells me that's not something these justices are going to be watching. I don't think they're watching the mayoral election. But on the flip side of that, both mayoral candidates who are left in this runoff have been talking about bail. And each one sort of aligns how you'd expect considering their general political ideology. So I think the mayoral candidates are definitely watching the Supreme Court. I'm not sure how much the Supreme Court is watching the mayoral Uh, election. Okay. Well, Mawa, the elimination of cash bail That's only one part of the Safety Act, right? What are the other parts of this law and what else is at stake if the law is overturned? Yeah, so I mean, like, for one thing, um, there is the Crime Victims Compensation Act, which essentially makes it easier for people who've been harmed by crime to apply for cash compensation. And so it it kind of um, uh, increases the timeline you have to apply. And it also increases the monthly payment from $2,400 to $10,000 for funeral expenses, um, which is a pretty pretty big deal, I, w- I would think. Um, yeah, <laughs> but of there's course. also, yeah, and then, and then also um, it requires documentation of deaths in custody. So um, it would require prisons to notify the relatives of an incarcerated person's death. 
Um, it also uh, increases police accountability and oversight, and so it would just um, make it easier for the state authorities to take officers accused of serious misconduct uh, through a decertification process off the streets. Um, so, so kind of a lot of a lot of different things. Um, there, there's also ending so-called prison gerrymandering, um, but but yeah, it, it does seem to be like you know if the whole safety act is overturned, there there will be a mm-hmm. lot of things that that go with it. Now, Shannon, we, we know the court judge who initially ruled against the Safety Act, uh, Kankakee Judge Thomas Cunningham, is a Republican, and five of the seven judges on the state Supreme Court are Democrats. The law was initially pushed through by Democrats. Now, could this signal that the law could remain protected? So that's a great question. I think there's no doubt that the Supreme Court um, leans more uh, liberal than this specific Kankakee Judge Cunningham. Okay. Um, but, you know, this isn't necessarily an issue that is broken straight across party lines. Some of the state's attorneys, for example, who uh, who sued that the law was unconstitutional are Democrats. Um, and the a lot this is a really interesting supreme court because there's a lot of new justices on it four new justices who don't have a long record of supreme court decisions that we can analyze so while i think that that might give us a little bit of a hint i, I definitely don't think that it, it is like a clear message that we know how this is going to go mawa arguments against the safety act they claimed the law violated the rights of the judiciary branch of government as we talked about as as well as those of the public's right to safety in what ways? Yeah, yeah. So the um, the um, state attorney uh, James um, Rowe, who was arguing um, on the plaintiff side, they were saying that you know um, sheriff's rights are violated because they can't set monetary bail to ensure that the defendant will return, which will then in turn violate the public's right to safety if there is you know a quote unquote criminal on the loose. So so um, and this was something that Chief Justice Tice was. She was very um, tough in her line of questioning too, because she was like, you know, what is your standing, right? Like, what what sort of interest do you have as sheriffs and state attorneys in this case? And they were arguing that you know sheriffs have an inherent interest to protect the public safety of the community and and to make sure that a person who is deemed dangerous stays within jail while they await trial. Mm-hmm. And this was a yeah, th- this was like rhetoric that we heard a lot during the campaigning mm-hmm. season last fall, um you know, with, with a lot of more conservative, more republican candidates talking about how if we were to end cash bail in Illinois, then it will just be you know, free for all, you know, they they likened it to that movie The Purge. Where, where it was like a horror movie where like all crimes were allowed for like a 12 hour period or whatever. So, so just try, trying to uh, sort of amp up this rhetoric that, you know, people are really just going to be sheer chaos in the streets. Yeah. yeah. In the streets. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's dig into that rhetoric a bit more, Shannon. You know, one of the arguments of, is this law makes it harder to detain someone behind bars while they await trial and not just because of their ability to pay cash. Can you just explain yeah, so a lot of that rhetoric that Mawa is referencing was false. There was this idea that it will now be impossible to hold people behind bars who have committed um, or accused of committing, I should say, very serious crimes like kidnapping or murder. Um, and that's just that's not true. Uh, judges are able to hold someone based on a concern about public safety or a worry that they're going to uh, flee. That said, the law does have uh, tighter standards around um, 
what would clear that hurdle, right? I see. Um, and what judge actually considers. So I think it's fair to say that the law um, will make it harder to detain someone behind bars while they're awaiting trial. Mm-hmm. But a, a lot of the imagination of what that that would mean, I think, is is going beyond the reality. Yeah, I mean, to that end, Mawa, the, the attorney that was arguing for the Safety Act this morning said uh, the law actually gives judges more power, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the, he was referencing the 90-day provision, which is has been a long-standing feature of Illinois state law since the 80s, and it essentially requires a court to release someone pre-trial after 90 days. But with the Safety Act, it gives um, judges more power to just kind of like toll on more days, so like more 90 days, if they can, um, if, if the if the state seats the continuance that is supported by, quote, good cause. Mm-hmm. And so um, this was something that obviously wasn't around pre-Safety Act law. And um, they were talking about how this would address one of the plaintiff's concerns about delays associated with DNA testing, um, which they talked about was a primary complaint of theirs. So clearly a lot to discuss this time around. And, and today we know, Mawa, justices did not make a decision in, in the case. When can we expect to know more about the fate of the Safety Act? <laughs> That's um that was actually my first question that I asked after the um arguments wrapped up to the the press person and yeah. he said um we we don't have a t- timeline oh, at all. Lord. <laughs> we, we <kind laughs> Time of, will tell. Yeah, they he said that you know this is a pretty tough case and the justices might be split on this so they're going to take a while um and so he didn't want to speculate or anything. I see. Well, Shannon, what are you going to be keeping your eye out for as the case progresses through the court? Well, I'll absolutely be keeping my eye on this. This is something that courts across the state have been preparing for for a long time, and it's all been on hold. So I'm I'm really curious to see what the outcome is, if the, the law does go into effect. Um, I'm curious how preparations have been affected by it being on hold for this period of time. Um, I think it is worth knowing, noting that this uh, case is about a portion of the Safety Act. Uh, referencing bail. So that's what we're going to see this conversation come out about, not necessarily the whole, all the different provisions inside the safety. Right. That's important to note. Shannon Heffernan is a WBEZ criminal justice reporter and Mawa Iqbal is a state house reporter for the station. Thank you both. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Brenda Ruiz and edited by Stephanie Kim and Meha Ahmed. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.